You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 176. It is our last episode of 2023, um, which means it's time for our year-end wrap-up of the best pop of the year that was. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have the once and future professional Asian-American, Jess Ju. Hello, Marvin. What up, Jess? It's good. I'm very much counting the days till Christmas and Christmas break, where I can once again be not working, but not working while working, so it means more. It must be nice to start your job right before the holiday breaks. Oh, that was um, that was planned for me, at least. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I mean, smart time to onboard, too, for most folks. It's, but it has still been kind of busy, um, but hopefully... Yeah, every time I get an email, I'm like, why are you emailing? It's December 12th. Like, we are in the circle back next year portion of the calendar. I don't I don't think they got the memo, but, you know, it's like the it's like the rush to get in all your meetings before, like, everyone, like, is radio silent for two weeks. Also joining us, the most professional of culture editors, Han Nguyen. Hey, Han. Hey. How is the end of the year <laughs> pop culture writing going? Uh, you know... It's just the whole, oh, don't forget or leave anything out that deserves, you know, mention or, you know, or don't forget the one thing that marred everything and don't, you know, and so don't sound too glib about certain things either. It's it's a lot. And it's also like because of my brain, I don't want to forget anything. So I'm going I'm like combing through my like editorial calendar, trying to remind myself of what I did or watched or, you know, thought about or wrote. And yeah, it's a lot. And then also trying to teach the younger writers like this is what you do. And also looking ahead to January already because, you know, we can't just come back from vacation and have nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Already I mean, it was a, a weird year for pop culture coverage because of the double strike, the WGA and SAG strikes, uh, pushing everything back. But it didn't really push back stuff that was already coming out. Like we'll start, we'll start seeing those effects probably next year, right? I think Netflix just released... Um, an announcement that Bridgerton, the next season, is mm-hmm. being pushed back to May and being yeah. released in two parts. And I know people are mad about that, but then it's like, I don't think they finished shooting before the strike happened, right? Right, right. And the thing is, it's like, on one hand, that means also as a writer now, we're getting inundated with like, you're all the people who are now available. And so it's just a matter of trying to get it all in because it's the end of the year. So we are trying to wind things down. But they are trying to get interviews because it is award season. It is for um, consideration season, yes. yes. Yes, through for the next few months. And then um, when they're also doing weird things in theaters where I, I don't know if you saw, but Disney Plus is going to release three animated movies that went straight to streaming and they're going to put it in theaters. So they're starting with Soul Then there's going to be um, Turning Red. And I forgot the last one. Element, not Elemental. That was in theaters. <laughs> what was the last one? Uh, I forgot the name. But anyway, so those are going to be rolled out in theaters like a month or two, like in between. Um, so, that, yeah, there's just a lot of weird things happening. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also ahead. they're taking a lot of stuff off streaming, right? Like I read that they're taking Watchmen, the HBO series, completely off Max because, you know, HBO yeah. is now kind of. A <laughs> it's a weird thing um, because HBO or at least Max is 
co-owned by or owned by you know David Zaslav, who was over Discovery, and for the longest time he was just like. I only know, you know, uh, the man hates um, narrative unscripted. so much. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> I he doesn't mean, care for it's narrative. the empire that ninety day fiance built. You sure, know? like sure. why? Why you got to make scripted? <laughs> I I think that this is the one thing I was hoping is that the award season attention and possibly getting awarded will make him reconsider, like trashing everything. Yeah, um, and save like, some stuff when he was doing all his like pulling Batman canceling shows the one thing mm-hmm. that we all like kind of agreed upon was like hbo shows hbo proper shows were like untouchable but apparently oh. that's not the case right yeah no and not only that but he's just like he's letting them put it on netflix and i was just like this makes zero sense <laughs> like yes i get it you want money but also you have your own streaming service like why would you give it away to netflix um it's just so weird but yes um lots of weird decisions made and yeah, anyway, that's my that's my time right now is just dealing <laughs> dealing with a lot. Well, that's 2024 Han's problem. On this <laughs> episode, we're talking about 2023 <laughs> and looking back uh, because as we get older, that's all we can really do. Right, Jess? Morbid, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to our uh, 2023 recap, let's find out what pop culture is being us through this week. Uh, Jess, let's start with you. What's popping? All right, so a few weeks ago, I started a game called Dave the Diver, which has slowly have has been consuming my all my free time. Um, I have not gone to the movies. I have not really started new shows. Uh, one show, Squid Game Challenge, which we can talk about later. Yes, but it is the most. Um, you know, the, they describe it like the game people themselves describe it as a quote casual unquote game and. You know, I love that description, and I think that's what I need going forward in my life. It's a single-player RPG adventure game where you fish, but because Dave is like a pushover, he gets like roped in to do a lot of other things, like run a sushi restaurant or help run a sushi restaurant. He has to do quests. So it's actually a very clever way to like incorporate a lot of different gaming conventions and like types of games into one you know, overarching story. It's very charming. It's like deliberately like pixel art. And I would say that this is perfect for the people who, when you played Oregon Trail at school, you would just hunt or fish and neglect (laughs) everything else. If you did that, this is the game for you. Yeah. I remember seeing this game. I think it was one of the previous Nintendo uh, Indie Directs. And I did play the demo. And I found it to be pretty fun that the art style, like you mentioned, it, it throws back to like the old Sierra Adventure games, um, which I realize is, is a reference only for me and people my age. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed the exploration part of it. Um, the <laughs> the sushi, running a sushi restaurant part of it, you know, I played through the demo and I can see that being like I enjoy the cozy kind of like exploration, fishing, shooting harpoon gun. But the 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 restaurant management aspects of it, while fun, seem like it could get pretty hectic. There are there are um, basically you get to hire staff later, mm. so that helps. Um, and this way, it, this game is designed that you can't fuck up. They won't let you fuck <laughs> up, which I appreciate as someone who is like deep trauma for um, thinking that they fucked up their Pokemon Blue when they were like five years old and like <laughs> never recovered from it like i thought the ssn 
abandoned me. I didn't know I was supposed to leave and wouldn't leave. So the gameplay is designed very well in that like it's very hard to kind of fuck up. And even if you die, you can restart. Um, and it's cozy until a shark attacks you. A shark will attack you. Sharks <laughs> do attack you. That's a little stressful. So I wouldn't call it like cozy, cozy, but it does. Um, it's cozy for like 85 to 90% of the time. And I love the fact that it does have an endpoint. Like you cannot just farm and fish forever, which, you know, I am 10 plus years into my Stardew Valley farm. And <laughs> it's like at this point, I'm like, I can't, Grandpa, I'm sorry. I got to abandon the farm. Like I'm not into it anymore. So the fact that this does wrap up in the storyline, in the tasks, it's, it, it I've I've logged like, dozens of hours on it already but like the, i do see the end in sight so it's good for folks who are like get obsessive about certain you know games for short periods of time and then like never touch it again which is me sounds great yeah check it out though there is some like it's a technically not an indie game it looks like an indie uh, this is mm-hmm. what i've been told it looks like an indie game but it's actually made by like a very big game producer i, mean, I don't know if you know this but indie is no longer a not, it, even in films, indie's mm-hmm. not a um, signifier of budget. It's a vibe now, and I don't like that. I think it should be about budget because you know resource allocation is very important. But yeah, I'm just like not my world. Not taking it on. I had a good time. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. I've been looking for a holiday game, so maybe maybe this is it. Yeah, um, good to play. Like you know, you can put it down anytime. You can pause it. It's like not nothing's gonna like. Nothing's going to kill you when you pause. Um, so, yeah, definitely recommend it if you have some downtime. Yeah. All right. Uh, Han, what's popping with you? Uh, okay. So <laughs> there's so many things I wanted to discuss, but uh, I'm not allowed to because I'm way too far ahead. Um, when I was saying I was planning for January, that's what I was talking about. So, um, But I did just start something that actually has been out for quite a while, um, which is um, a K-drama called Moving. It's um, available on Hulu in the United States and everywhere else it's Disney+. Plus. Um, and one of the reasons why it's so popular is it's basically a drama about um, some teenagers who find out they have superpowers and then the parents who discover that because uh, I think superpowers are not necessarily allowed. So there's like, it's hidden. Um, so it's a multi-generational drama um, and it does have comedy, but it also has a lot of action. There's like the first episode, there's like a really bloody scene that I was like, really? <laughs> um, but basically, I think in the first week it was released, it did amazingly well. Um, and to the point where as of now, Hulu is, uh, has released an English dub version, which while I don't personally like dub, that actually is a really good sign because it does mean that they you know, it had so much viewership just with the subtitled version that they're just trying to get a bigger audience. I also am very pro Hulu trying to get in on the K-drama game because I was like, Netflix can't do it all. Um, And just in general, um, I like having other venues for K-dramas. And this one also just is not the usual romancy one, even though, of course, there's going to be some love triangle in there somewhere. I'm only maybe two episodes in, so I can't actually spoil anything, which is good. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. It's on everyone's top 10 K-dramas list uh, for the year. And I was like, oh, because it's on Hulu, I kept forgetting to watch it. So I just started. Yeah, I feel like superhero or superpower um, K-dramas are kind of becoming 
like the next like trend, right? Because there, there was this one. There was the strong girl one on um on Netflix, I think. Yeah, and I mean the strong girl trope has been around for a while. Like, um, strong girl Namsoon is actually sort of like a sequel to strong woman box. I forgot her name. Um, that was a few years ago. But Uncanny Counter is definitely uh, one where they all have these weird superpowers. Um, so, yeah, I, I and I've been enjoying Sweet Home, which is demons and superpowers. <laughs> so um, I've been enjoying kind of getting in a little bit more into the sci fi slash fantasy realm of K-dramas uh, just because there are new different tropes <laughs> that you can get into. She's going deeper. She's going so deep. Yeah. Um, well, She's I never also, coming back. I also do very much enjoy the revenge dramas, which I'm also watching right now. But I think this one is just a bit more of a broad crowd pleaser because of the different age ranges. Um, one of the dads owns a fried chicken shop. One of the moms has a tonkotsu shop. So in general, I'm like, it's hitting all the things for me <laughs> so far. <laughs> Um yeah so I'm I'm kind of even though I'm I feel sort of nervous like I feel like a lot of these I need to watch before the end of the year just to be able to get like my top 10 in my head um yeah I I'm I'm enjoying it yeah nice <laughs> okay so that's me how about you Marvin um yeah so this past weekend I think um Netflix finally dropped the holiday episodes from 2023 for um Great British Bake Off so yes. one episode was the alumni episode. The other one was like, I guess, Channel 4 personalities that I had no No clue who in. they were. <laughs> no clue. Not as fun. Yeah. Um, but after after my wife and I finished watching those two episodes, um, we got served Top Chef on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, I didn't realize Top Chef came out to Netflix. It just came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's only two seasons available. Mm-hmm. Yes, like six and fifteen. Yeah, like very Vegas very, and what like the 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 California season. I think so. Yeah. I didn't watch fifteen, but I was like, Le- which which season was six again? And then it was the Vegas yeah. season, which, which that was, pretty, was probably pretty. the season that like kind of like took Top Chef mm-hmm. to like the current trajectory it's in right now, where they actually yes. have like not only executive chefs but like chefs that are like on the top of their field competing like for the first time right Mm -hmm. yeah but like oh my god it aged so poorly in like the personality (laughs) politics like there's some like toxic ass people in that season so like watching again i was like i do because i remember watching this season it was it was my um put on while i'm working Mm -hmm. season like i had the i had all the episodes on itunes because that's how you acquired Mm -hmm. shows back then and just like seeing everyone they they obviously remastered it for hd um mm-hmm. because i think the original season was like not even widescreen like no. dimensions right um yeah. you can definitely see where they have zoomed in everything but like just seeing padma gail and tom like what like 15 years ago let's say yeah and like see how none of them have really aged in like the yeah. last 15 years mm-hmm. um they look a little younger but like not by much mm-hmm. um and then just remembering like this i really like the season and I kind of, I'm kind of glad they chose this one because this was the first season where they actually had like not only pretty strong chefs, but pretty good like guest judges, right? They got like Joel Robuchon, they had like Thomas Keller, they had like even Wolfgang Puck, which he's kind of a character, but say what you will, that man right? knows how to roast a fucking chicken. Okay, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, also, the Voltagios that yeah. was like Voltagio, <laughs> Jen Carroll, Mike Isabella definitely spoke to me year. because of the brother dynamic because. 
Mm-hmm. Brian and Michael Vitaggio definitely reminded me of like dynamics between my, myself and my younger brother. I just remember also for a while, uh, Michael Vitaggio had his restaurant Inc. here. Yeah, here in LA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I, think- I did go to. I have yeah, gone yes. to. It mm-hmm. was yummy. Yeah. And then I walked out and I saw Drake shooting a music video. So that was like a very <laughs> L.A. Yeah. experience. Yes. And I think his sous chef back then at Inc. was Mei Lin, who went on to win her season yeah. of Top Chef. and They miss her restaurant yeah. every day. <laughs> I actually there never was- got to go to Nightshade. Um, and I haven't tried yeah. her chicken sandwich yet, but I heard it's really good. There was a period of time where I just went to all the Top Chef places in L.A. And now I'm kind of like, eh. You know, um, like we got lucky, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, my biggest regret having lived in D.C. for three years was never going to Brian Vitaggio's restaurant in mm-hmm. Frederick, Maryland. Um, but I think they, I don't know if they still have it, but they have a restaurant in Vegas now, right? The Two Brothers. Like that's their thing. I don't know because I, I feel like, okay, my ink restaurant, my ink experience was pretty good. It was pretty tasty. But mm-hmm. then like I have such beef with Michael Vitaggio now because every time mm-hmm. I try to buy a fucking sandwich from Ink Sack at LAX, they're like, mm-hmm. we don't have it. I'm yeah. Like, well, I'm like, <laughs> how do you have a ham sandwich on the menu and not have ham? Like, I've literally tried to order three wow. different sandwiches and they're like, we don't have the ingredients. I'm like, what? So on my naughty, on my <laughs> shit list now, Michael Vitaggio. Um, but that is to say, um, I'm actually like, I ended up rewatching a lot of season six, mm-hmm. uh, which... I remember back then, it was like such a refreshing, strong season, even with all the like, you can still tell this was when Bravo was still trying to Bravo the show up with like all the weird personalities. You can kind of tell that some of the talking heads was seem a little forced. Um, it definitely was not a go Asian season. Like the one Asian was Preeti. The, um, I think she was mm-hmm. the executive chef of Google back then. Mm-hmm. And she was definitely there as like chaff mm-hmm. to be weeded out in the first mm-hmm. half of the season. Um, but I do remember this could, this was the season immediately following the New York season in which Hosea somehow won, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a weird where like oh. they, they were caught on film like cheating and then he won, <laughs> like one of them won, right? Yeah. It's that was so weird. bizarre. Yeah. 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 It's weird because I'm pretty sure all Top Chef seasons are still available on Peacock, right? Yeah, but who has Peacock? <laughs> who has premium Peacock? Let's be real. Since they made it not free. Yeah. I'm not paying I, for that. I got it through press. <laughs> but am I watching it? No. no. <laughs> not, you won't even watch it when it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just, I mean, too ma- if they put some K-dramas on there, you know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, it's something to tide me over until season the next season comes out, which is the yeah. first Kristen Kish season. Oh, yeah. Um, which I'm pretty sure they finished filming already because um, I do follow one of the producers on Instagram. And it looks like they're done. Um, oh, wow. But, you wait, also go deep. <laughs> yeah. It's a great go Asian story because um, their quick fire producer, T. Win, is an Asian woman. So, you know, kind of kind of cool to have that connection there. God, that must be a fun job. It's like, how can we torture these people? How can <laughs> uh-huh. we make this entertaining for everyone except the chef testants? <laughs> well, speaking of go Asian, um, <laughs> I see here on the notes that there was a Go Asian moment in the Squid Games reality TV show. Yeah, uh, Jess, do you want to talk about it? Since I mean, are we spo- are we in yes, the spoiler zone it. now? Okay, it's been a week. I really don't. Yes. Care. Yeah. So the winner is an Asian American woman, Mai, um, who is I believe she's in her fifties or sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is a refugee. She's a single mom. Uh, she's a grandmother, and my God, she's the only one who fucking had any sense in this damn game, okay? I 
have you know critiques about what it says about our society to like yeah, yeah, yeah we, we talked about you know there's stuff about that i'm just like it's squid game the challenge i don't understand why some of these contestants were acting like being a good person or like 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 they they worked together to like make it so that it was a game of chance for everyone was like would be the right decision i'm just like is are we reaching like the next level of reality tv where like people want to be perceived as good people it's not interesting my was like the only one who was like smart enough to like actually play a game in the final like 20 or something and i feel like there was an element of like you know she was being underestimated she was you know with all that with all the isms you can think about and then but then it quickly shifted once they realized like oh she's actually playing this game um then it got kind of shifty to like ooh, she's not trustworthy i was like mm, that sounds a little racist um and at the end of the day i'm like yeah she's the only one who actually worked like had a strategy I feel about how to win $4.56 million, $56 million. And um, she did win. So good for her. And I think everybody else is an idiot. That's that's my TED talk. Yeah. Mai is uh, a Vietnamese refugee. So she did leave uh, Vietnam. She tells a harrowing story about how she was like eight years old when she was trying to leave. But then there were like, there was a a soldier with a gun to her head all this other stuff anyway so yeah, she also um, was like she's like a veteran she like joined mm-hmm. the military out of like the navy like, yeah out of high school and then had a and then got pregnant which like you know she doesn't outright state it but there are some implications she was, she was, of like yeah 19 like there's there's some implications of like something shady or not great going on her family like disowned her for that and like but the interesting is like she doesn't say any of this to the other players no, she just she's says, only doing I'm a mom, I'm a grandma. Yeah, yeah. She's telling kind of us the real thing. But to them, she's just so under the radar, very much like, I'm a 55-year-old person who's pudgy, who doesn't, you know, whatever. Like, you should like, not I work in immigration. Yeah. Well, like I have, so here's the... Know, here's, just a, mm-hmm. So here's the thing. The, the couple ways that she used strategy is she's an immigration adjudicator. And so she says that she's very good at reading people. And sure enough, that did play out in one of the challenges where you first have to lie. But then you also, if you get, um, let's say, chosen to be eliminated and everyone's blindfolded, then you have to pick who you think eliminated you. And she picks correctly by reading everyone and talking to everyone. So mm-hmm. that's great. Another guy does it twice. So I was very impressed with him. But um, and then the very last um, round, the final round, Marvin, I don't think you are aware, but it was just. Round after round after round of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> and the thing is, she kept winning. Like, I want to know what the ratio of how many throws she won. But it was so many that even in the confessional later, her opponent was just like i don't know how she was doing this and she's like it was strategy you know um and being able to read her opponent knowing that the opponent is you know a younger person just uh so there was there was a lot going on and so yes she still could have lost but in the end she won so many times i'm kind of glad that she eventually won because she couldn't easily have lost honestly um but i felt like she was the one who put in the most effort 
um, mm-hmm. to actually win, to try and do the game correctly by the end. I think at the beginning, you kind of are like, shit, you know, uh, up shit's creek if you just have a bad luck, you know, because when you're a part of 456 people, you you have to rely a lot on luck. Um, so, but by the end, luck is not the only thing that's on your side. Um, you need on your side. So, yeah, I really enjoyed the ending. Um, I felt it was, for me, enjoyable. Also, I did like the runner-up. The runner-up, uh, they were pretty funny. But yes, go Asian. <laughs> I do think there's something really interesting going on here. Um, based on what you guys are saying, I don't know if this is how it's actually played on the show because I have not watched the show, nor do I really plan to. But the fact that like people playing the game on this reality TV show seem to all at least to me, it sounds like they think that they're the protagonist in actual <laughs> Squid Games in which like they're trying to like be the moral person or thinking that, oh, the, the good guy always wins. When if Squid Games is really done in real life, it would be someone who they, like... It's, it, the right? interesting thing is that there were many opportunities to get rid of people randomly between the actual games. And so some of those people were taken out, but some of them were, you know, left in the game. So... It it was like some people were like, oh, he put a target on his back because he's too aggressive. And I'm just like, well, yes, you shouldn't stick out. So I agree with that. But also too aggressive. Like, what does that mean in this game? You know, <laughs> because they also in the reality show version, they made sure that um, physical power wasn't necessarily um, a determinant. So, you know, one of the slight spoiler is there is no tug of war game. Um but they let everyone think that they were going to do a tug of war by picking teams. But once you go into the room with the uh, where you think you're going to do tug of war, it ends up being a life size version of Battleship. Um, so it's a strategy game. And uh, so, yeah, then you got, you know, the the team full of like burly men who are like, well, how do we play this? Um, so, yeah, there there were just many times in there where. Definitely, they. Some people thought they were doing strategy, but they weren't very smart. No. Not a lot of and, them were smart. And then, yeah, and then it was really funny. Some of some of them were like the most like they're like we just don't like you. You're arrogant, and then you like just get like kicked off. Um, but the I did like how they I think adjusted for, to make it a more equitable game. But I do think that inherently changes like the premise of Squid Game. Yeah, because if so much, so much of it was up to chance, and yeah. you I, know that's that's not what the show's about. Yeah, it's interesting because you wonder. Some of them had really good sort of backstories if you were wanting to get to know anyone, but since they're four hundred fifty six, you really didn't get to. So that's why, honestly, unless someone was horrible by the end, I don't know if I would have been as affected. As much. That's why maybe I found my to be, you know, satisfying winner just because um, because of her gameplay, it kind of balanced out the fact that, you know, that maybe we didn't get to know her earlier on because she wasn't sticking out. Which was smart on her end, right? To like go under the radar until a certain point um, and even up. But it's it's just it's it's not as fun to watch people try to pretend to be nice when they're fighting for money. I'm like, it was I don't, weird. I'm not watching Squid. I'm not watching Squidward game to watch nice people do games of chance. Like I want to see, you know, when they when people talk about Survivor and like Survivor winners, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, he played a good mm-hmm. game or he played an interesting game, and it's so boring when it's like it's actually not entertaining to watch it when it's just like chance games, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. they all were like, 
Yeah, like there was this one exercise where they all have to roll a dice mm-hmm. and basically either nominate to eliminate someone else or to eliminate role for themselves. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if you roll a six, you're out. And Mai's like the only, like they were all so mad at her for like picking a person who like did not hold up the social contract of the past game. And I'm like, oh my God, like why is everyone like, and yeah. no one was mad so at the weird. other woman who like wouldn't, do her turn and like put everybody else at risk but they were all mad at like my for like playing the game as intended and i'm just like this is ridiculous like i like it better when it's more just blatant and more entertaining and more strategic like survivor right where you do have to play a social game and a physical game like a like the challenge and a puzzle and a mental game um so it's just like yeah but you know what doesn't matter because they're gonna do a season two yeah we already knew that but yeah, congratulations to Mai for giving us our Go Asian moment on Squid Game The Challenge. Um, yeah, we'll see if season two comes back. But um, that'll be, again, that's 2024's problem. We're here today to talk about 2023. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll be going over um, each of our top pop culture picks for 2023. Uh, so stick around. I'm Charlene Kay. I'm a musician, songwriter, and guitarist. Growing up, I loved music. Whether it was pop, acoustic, emo, I ate it all up. But as a Chinese-American kid living in Scottsdale, Arizona, I also felt isolated, never really seeing artists who looked like me or shared my experiences. So after years of performing on stages all over the world, I wanted to create a space to highlight the amazing Asian musicians who I knew were out there, just not always getting played on the radio. That's why I started Golden Hour, a podcast where Asian singers, songwriters, instrumentalists, and music producers share their personal stories, and it's a space for you to discover your new favorite artist. Listen to Golden Hour with me, Charlene Kay, wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Like we mentioned at the top of the show, this is our end of the year episode. So um, as we did last year, we're going to go around and talk a little bit about our favorite pieces of pop culture for 2023. So let's start with um, let's start with Jess. What is your first best pop of 2023? My first best pop uh, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, it was just such a great follow-up sequel to what was already an amazing movie it went even further and you know it had substance beneath the style which is something that i can't say about Mm. a lot of things most things 
And, you know, it is, I feel in that vein of it's, it's, it shows that like superhero stories is not the problem. It's how Mm -hmm. you tell them. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's what you do with it. And I just love Miles, his family. Um, You know, it's still diverse. I feel like it's, it's, it's in the, it's a lineage or it's like a child of this like diversity push, but that's not the point of this story, right? Like it's not the point. He's just a kid. He's Spider-Man. He's going through the same coming of age things. And like, what's like the sequence where he's going through the spider verse was both the funniest thing I've probably mm-hmm. seen this year and just the most technically impressive. And then at the end, also sexy daddy oscar isaac <laughs> spider-man butt so what more can you want right and and you know it whetted our appetite and we get a part three mm-hmm. so sequel to this film coming up you know it has been delayed we'll see how it will probably be more delayed because i know there's a there's a potential upcoming animation strike mm-hmm. next year which of course we support wholeheartedly yeah um but you know this movie just shows how exciting animation can be it's not just a form for like young children it's something that like can expand and i and, you know and just props to the original for proving that you know you don't have to do the traditional like you know style the the disney style the pixar style there's a lot of different ways to show animation and we've gotten some pretty cool stuff i think in the wake of that so props to spider-man into the spider-merch yeah also props for being not only the best spider-man but the best multiverse marvel media oh yeah i mean just just it's it's really fun when you watch something and you can tell everyone who made it is like chronically online Mm -hmm. um (laughs) as i am and i think as we are as like pop culture people and it's just you know just the amount of easter eggs the jokes the 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 you know the the awareness of the multiverse without being too like you know serious about it um that's super fun and um it's it's i guess it's you know Haley Haley Steinfeld's in it so it's it's asian right i'll allow it oh yeah <laughs> oh and you know the team like the animation team is like very asian the ones who work in the dregs and the dungeons of like the anim- animating the cells like you know it's 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 you know you can you can kind of tell that you know the voices behind these are like younger and and probably a little more ethnic than the typical animated movie might be. Yeah, I mean, you got Daniel movie. Kaluuya, you got Greta Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, but that being said, I, I do enjoy Jake Johnson's Peter Parker. Oh, he's great. And we get like weird spider baby, you know, but like it, they just are <laughs> able to cram so many fun things into this movie. Um, and, you know, Miles Morales, I think, is like the best thing that's happened to Spider-Man which has that weird problem of they just have to reboot it over and over again or else they lose the rights. And what a way to reboot it, right? It's yeah. it's it's so much more interesting than the usual Spider-Man fair. As much as I enjoyed Tom Holland, and I think he's like a very talented young lad, I'm just like, we've seen that so many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, Karen Sani, also in the Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. That oh, some great jokes, right? Some great mm-hmm, jokes, yeah. and and wasn't it confirmed that they like had different versions and like different jokes in? Yeah, they have different versions depending with which theater you went to and which that's, print they got. So that's you know, so cool. Commitment to the bit, I can respect that. But now pay the animators more. <laughs> <laughs> True. So I'll end with that. <laughs> All right, uh, Han. What's your first best pop of twenty twenty three? 
I'm going to say even hmm, even though I think maybe a couple other films that I really enjoyed maybe of better quality overall. I was trying to think of things that really also just pleasantly surprised me um, and added to my enjoyment of it. And so I'm going to say Bottoms. The (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The very unhinged, raunchy comedy uh, about lesbians in high school. Um, They kill some people. You know, there's just so much going on. The jokes are just a mile a minute. Um, there's so many visual gags that I actually need to watch this again. Uh, there's everything about it was just so interesting and different. It's a you know girls in a fight club beating each other up. Uh, I don't know what there wasn't to love about it. So it's there was just no there was no way I could have maybe predicted a movie like this <laughs> this year. Or so um, a, a lot of uh, credit to. Emma Seligman and Rachel Sennett for creating this, but also, of course, Ayo Edebri, um, because she is basically the MVP this year, starring in so many things, also. But uh, so this that added to it, they got a lot of queer people to be in this movie. Also, um, the one of the funniest uh, uses of Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes oh my god i totally forgot the about one the... dude that we care about i mean there was also the guy from uh uh red white and royal blue in it too but um yes marshawn lynch is just hilarious there's just i don't i don't know how much more i could recommend this if you just want a good time watch bottoms um i remember I agree. It being a little too much for me <laughs> That's because you're not a weird little, <laughs> you're not a weird little girl inside, Marvin. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to say. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> it, this is how weird girls are. Yes, yes. Um, it 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 was almost like cathartic to see all of that happen. And well, I remember coming out of it thinking, oh, I like that way better than Barbie. <laughs> Just like <laughs> there's nothing wrong with Barbie, really. Well, there's some moments. But um, but overall, it's like I think this was the feminist film I wanted. Uh, so yeah, I I actually need to watch it again, and I don't actually rewatch a lot of these uh things these days because you know who has time. But I think for bottoms, I I definitely would put it on um again. Marvin, what's your top pop? <laughs> yeah, um, so my first best pop of twenty twenty three, and I also much like Han, um, based this on um uh, things that I watched that kind of stuck with me or that surprised me. And one of the things this year that I watched that stuck out um, was a reality TV competition. And it's not Squid Game, the, the challenge, but it was something <laughs> very similar in vibe, uh, which is Physical 100, which came out in January, which is wild because wow. I feel like it's been around forever, right? Mm-hmm. But it was the it's the Korean reality TV competition where they bring together 100 of the quote-unquote strongest people in I guess Korea mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and put them through a series of tests of strength and throughout each challenge like they keep getting whittled down whittled down whittled down until the final two compete in a actually pretty lackluster final event oh yes um, but I remember <laughs> sorry putting this on uh with my wife just randomly because I think Han it was yes. after you told me about it mm-hmm. and then we ended up just watching the whole thing um, until like the second to last episode when we realized it's it was a weekly um, release <laughs> and we didn't get we made it out to the finale and I remember my wife being very upset 
that I didn't tell her that the last episode wasn't out yet. And then you watch the last episode and you're like, oh, let's not <laughs> let's forget that episode. Yeah, I feel like the show kind of peaked during the ship challenge, like the boat yes. challenge. Well, um, yeah, it was a great show, but it definitely had some issues. <laughs> yeah, definitely have some balance issues. Definitely like the final few challenges definitely skewed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of the the worry for a strength based reality mm-hmm. show, which is like, how do you overcome like the the strength difference, right? Like because we were all rooting for the um, the wrestler, right? The wrestler yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah. And I still follow her on Instagram. She's like the <laughs> one physical one hundred person I still follow. I did follow Hot Farmer for a while. Um, oh, Hot Farmer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I followed a few people, but then after a while, well, I still might be following him, actually. But then other people, like a lot of the other women, I st- stopped following because once you start feeling bad about yourself looking at someone on social media, then I, <laughs> th- then I stop. So I unfollow a lot of women sometimes just because I'm like, I will never be that fit again. But when it comes to the wrestler chick, like I love it because she's all about strength and yeah. um, and being pretty badass. I mean, I was uh, rooting for a strongman mm-hmm. uncle. Um, he was kind great. of bummed that he didn't make it. I mean, they had such fun personalities, but then, you know, I think the ending, just the whole ending, you know, including the behind the scenes tomfoolery just ruins. They, <laughs> and they also didn't, they, because of the way things were made, some of the challenges were great to account for different body physiques, like the, uh, the hanging challenge or the challenge where you had to, uh, what? Carry your own weight, like a poor portion With, of your own weight. Yeah, yeah. And so th- it was um, a ratio of your own weight. And so that made it sort of equal. But like the ship challenge was pure brute force. Like, yes, maybe one smart person like made it easier slightly. But yeah, it was good. Def- that skewed definitely for uh, yeah. strength. And I mean, the final challenge, no matter what it, who made it, that was an endurance challenge that mm-hmm. requires like. Oh, and also so know. boring to watch. Um, right and then also they got rid of all the people we were following so by the end we were like who are these two dudes you're like who is this guy Mm -hmm. who is this guy yeah so they the show definitely had issues with Mm -hmm. choosing who to edit because obviously they want to focus on the personalities Um, but if I were in the editing room I would say because obviously it's all pre-edited right Mm -hmm. like yes this this was shot way before it was broadcast it wasn't done live so if i knew that these two dudes these two boring dudes were the final two i would do everything in my power to like get as much content about them as possible just so that people feel um like there are some stakes in the finale the thing is i think they did a lot of these interviews but they didn't give that much to them because they didn't know them as well like they definitely paid attention to the more famous people and so by the time they got to the end they were like well we only have this much package for them so we better (laughs) save it right before the end uh so people know who they are but yeah it was just so sad because all the best people left (laughs) and i was like you did the wrong challenges um but of course it's it's gonna come back right did they already announce that i think so i mean they so they need to be able to fix some things yeah i mean even with all the challenge like it's still a show that like the vibes are just so good, right? Like the There's, fact that uh, in order yeah. when you're eliminated, you have to go, you have to go and shatter your own like bust of your like midsection. <laughs> I love it because the the theatrical uh, aspect of it. Some of them have saying words right before they break it. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, ridiculous. some of it was like great TV making. Uh-huh. Like you know, like there's no reason why you have to like 
drop a bridge from under the losing team captain like not necessary but appreciate the like the very like extra touch and i i still insist that the um the challenges based off the greek myths is the gayest thing i've ever seen on (laughs) tv Um, which but it's wonderful right and um you know more of that i think they could probably i agree with you they could probably like design it better so it's a little more equitable spread out equitable right because i do think like the moving sand challenge was great it wasn't about Mm -hmm. just brute strength right Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but but you know i i just hope also that they are able to overcome just like whatever shenanigans was happening behind the scenes in season one and give us a better finale next time i will watch it i will watch Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. yeah all right, Jess, what's your next best pop of 2023? My next best pop? I'm so glad you, glad you asked, Marvin. Um, my other pop of 2023 is, as I just spoke recently about, Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Both the tour and the film. I won't go too much into it again. I just talked about it recently. But man, what a what an experience. What a cohesive vision. What a What a privilege it is to see an artist at the top of her game you know transcend herself and you know go to heights that are even beyond what we mere mortals can relate to can can understand can envision um and then you know she's just proven not just the tour but the way she is disseminating this tour in the film just just excellent you know beyonce someone who could phone it in she's built that fan base that loyalty she has nothing to prove. Um, and we are just very lucky to be in the same timeline where Beyonce Jindazel knows is like, no, I need to prove something to myself. Um, and we just get to bask in the benefits of that. So thank you, Beyonce. Thank you. I'm going to go light my Beyonce candle. My like, I have my one of those like, those, I guess they're like Catholic celebrity candles, right. prayer candles, but it's a Beyonce. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know. <laughs> Thank you, Beyonce. And again, as someone who's not a black woman, mm-hmm. you know, I I know I'm not even really. I don't think I can even truly understand like the full scope of it. And like, if I feel like this, I can't even imagine if you know, you know. I feel very, I feel very grateful to be allowed to like just even watch the the experience that is Beyonce. And th- so, thank you, Beyonce. It's interesting because if I were to ask anybody else in my circle they would have said this was the year of taylor swift so mm-hmm. she's you know they're both mm-hmm. responsible for staving off like an economic recession mm-hmm. which you know we could talk about <laughs> the buying power of you know women in 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 2023 and how we were like this immense economic force that still regularly gets ignored in the mainstream um and I love Taylor, and I had also went to her show. But like, let's be re- like, I'm gonna be uh, like, I'm sorry if you think that Taylor, they do different things. I want to say that they do different things, and they both do their own things very well. But like, if you think like Taylor is the level of artist overall, overall that Beyonce, I'm sorry, you're huffing paint. <laughs> like, there's like. You know, Taylor's good at what she does. She's amazing. She's impressive. She's an athlete. I can't do three-hour tours, Mm -hmm. you know, and (laughs) sing nonstop. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not digging here for any of that. It's just she is not in – she's not 
cohesing her ideas. And I think she does a lot in terms of like changing the game economically for herself. And then like the, the felt, you know, like the benefits, like benefiting other artists. I don't, I'm not negating that, but like Beyonce just plays by her own rules at this point. Like um, it's, 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 you can't, you can't compare them. I'm sorry. You can't compare them. And I say that as like a very long time devoted Taylor Swift fan. Um, She's not at the level. And, I, you know, there's a lot of research. I'm not the expert. There's, But there is research or, you know, you, I think your gut can also check this. Like, oh, there's probably like, you know, the difference of spending power is probably just like related to like class and race in the United States. <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. who can afford? Who's a fan of Taylor Swift? You know, um, Taylor Swift also has to, does a lot like to promote herself. Beyonce is like has been burned so many times. She just doesn't even do that anymore. She doesn't do press. She doesn't like do interviews. She doesn't drop Easter eggs about her life in like things and like witch hunts. Like, and Taylor Swift is very good at it, but like she's, you know, I, I'm sure if Beyonce wanted to engage more, like she could sell more, but I was like, she doesn't have to. She's just living her nice, rich life with her husband and her three kids. So good for you, Beyonce. Yeah. Please don't dox me, Taylor Swift. Swifty. <laughs> I'm a Swifty. Look, I've been a Swifty for years. I was listening to Taylor Swift when like nobody, like it was not cool. Um, and it's, it's you know she's very important. I realize that she she's an economic force. But like if I'm talking about like artistry, we're talking about artistry and like talent. It's Beyonce. Let's be real. It's also not a competition. They both did amazing things this year. Um, and your preference, and also I agree with your artistic you know, take on this, um, is for Beyonce. Not no shade against Taylor Swift. So yeah. Uh I guess I need to watch that. I still there's so many things to watch <laughs> at the end of the year. Yeah. You do have to like I did have to hold my pee in for the last yeah. forty five minutes of that. So you get plan accordingly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Noted. All right, Han, what's your next pop? Best pop of 2023. Yeah, uh, this one is sort of a wild card because I was trying to figure out like sort of what fulfilled that same, you know, vibe I was going for, which was maybe not the 100% best quality thing, but something that I just thoroughly enjoyed because I wasn't expecting it. Um, So it's still up there. Uh, And so it is a series, a Taiwanese series called Kaseki Dear to Me. And it is crime sort of melodrama if i can say basically oh and it's also gay as hell so uh, yes <laughs> bearing the lead there <laughs> it, i'm this is worth it if you need to get vicky i'm just like just watch it because basically it's a ridiculous premise where this student i think he's a college student he's uh going to be a doctor someday um uh all of a sudden comes upon a gangster who's like bleeding in an alley he saves his life but then the gangster like is like says you gotta like keep, uh, keep me hidden because people are looking for me and he's like no I'm a student you know get out of here I helped you anyway so by cohabitating for a little while they kind of fall for each other but then Ooh. stuff happens oh no and yes some shit happens because of course gangster has gangsters you know coming after him um, so here's the other thing that I absolutely loved and on on a ridiculous level is. Two of the younger gangsters um, are uh, also a side couple. <laughs> <laughs> and and 
And so this is something that is very prevalent in a lot of, I don't know why people are so into this, but in all like K-dramas, all Asian media, people love it when couples are of very differing heights. And this is the case with these two gangsters. So one is tinier and one, um, and he also is blonde because, you know, of course you have to have a blonde one. Um, and, uh, so there's lots of fighting, but there's also like some weird sacrifices they do. One guy ends up going to prison to help out someone else who's in prison. So when I talk about crime melodrama, that's what I mean. It's like totally ridiculous sort of like things that people do. Um, yes, there's romance. Um, all these guys are hot. Um, and there's other sort of crime stuff going on. Um, but I don't know. It's just thoroughly enjoyable. It is definitely huge elements of fantasy here um, because there, there's a bit of an unreality thing going on. I think someone has amnesia. Like, it's all the soapy things. Um, but thoroughly enjoyable. Um, my favorite character, the small blonde one, also wears a lot of crazy sweaters, um, <laughs> which is great because most Asian dramas dress people sort of conservatively. <laughs> So it's it's always the blonde one who gets to be a little crazier, a little more fun and wild. Um, yeah. So uh, Kaseki Dear to Me, um, Taiwanese, did not expect it. Uh, I do follow this writer. She's done some other good stuff. Also very well known for another gay as hell gangster cop love story. <laughs> so um, I guess it is her thing. But uh Yeah. Very enjoyable. So if someone out there is looking for something different, then I highly recommend this. It's enjoyable. Yeah. And you said this was on Vicky? Yeah, it's on Vicky. It, you can probably also watch it other places, but Vicky is the one that's m- the most accessible to Americans. I think if you're other places, you get there's one called Gaga Ulala, which is like all gay all the time. But Vicky has a range. So you can watch actually some of the best K-dramas I've seen this year, you know, um, on there, too. But, um, yeah, I think Kaseki Dear to Me is a very fun, good one to watch. And it's not super long either. I mean, I think it speaks to your your personal tastes in media because I know um, you're you're a big fan of um, of the of, of the boys love genre um, that this beat out all the other like available K-dramas and C-dramas and Whatever yeah, other, other I've been watching. Watch. Yeah, I've been watching so many boys love dramas, and there's some definitely beautiful ones out there. From like, there's one from Korea that I would totally recommend. But this is just fun, and I think maybe that's what I wanted this year. It's just like a lot of fun, you know, like unexpected mm-hmm. things because I'm jaded. So <laughs> <laughs> surprising enough, we you want to take a load off. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, so that is my recommendation. Um, my one of the top pops for me. Uh, Marvin, how about you? What's your second one? Yeah, so my second pop, again, we watched a bunch of movies this year, uh, both for this podcast and on our own, oftentimes together, like um, last week when we watched um, Sun and Night together. But the film that I feel like I had the most fun and it hit all like the nostalgia buttons, but also doing something new was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which I did not expect to be (laughs) as good as it was. And it's just like a lot of studios have been going hard at nostalgia right like if you think about it the whole mcu like the whole superhero movie genre is nostalgic because all of us read comics or watch cartoons growing up so you know they're, they're they're playing they're they're trying to hit that part of the brain and you know for me personally ninja turtles was a very prominent piece of pop culture for me growing up um and so to see it done at this like 
Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse level of like execution, which is really great for me. And, you know, say what you will about Jackie Chan as a, as a human being. Um, I really did enjoy his 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 Master Splinter. Yes. <laughs> as well. Great take on the character. Um, you know, we get a Jackie Chan fight, but with a rat, which was very pleasantly surprising. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love this movie too. I think this this film does something I really appreciate, which is finding the right voice actors and not caring about like having a known actor necessarily. Cause I think all the four Ninja Turtles are just like kids, right? Yeah. Actual kids, like mm-hmm. actual like teens and preteens playing the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles, which I think it's, I think we talked about this during our discussion mm-hmm. episode, but when you think about how the Ninja Turtles have been portrayed in media, especially in film, like they've all kind of just been adults, right. Or like yeah. young adults. Um, so to see like to see them as portrayed as, as like actual kids was super refreshing as well. Yeah, and it was yeah, fun. and until it happened, I didn't realize that that was a thing that I was missing um, because it's right there in the title, teenage. <laughs> uh, but, mm-hmm. So so it gave it a different energy that I actually appreciated. We watched yeah, this together too, didn't we? We did, right? You two did. I watched. Did. I watched it on my own 4DX. Right. Oh, yeah. Jess, you were super late to the theater. Sorry, I missed the first. I watched it again because I went to the wrong movie theater. But I I watched it again and I caught the origin story of Splinter, which was also very, very funny. Um, So, you know, good job, Seth Rogen. You you did a good job. And Evan Goldman. Goldberg? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they are, they are a team that does, a, they're, they're similar to Lord and Miller where I was like, how can you do this? And I'm like, oh, that's fun. Like you guys did a good job. <laughs> yeah. And of course, no, um, A.O. DeBerry, like having mm-hmm. just Another the best, just the best amazing, year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was so fun. Like I had such a good time and again, the art style, um, yes. you know, very different than our traditional. So Make more movies like yeah. this, please. And always appreciate a good anime reference because teens these days they watch anime. They're not like they're not they're, mm-hmm. they're not like kids when we were growing up, where anime was something to be ashamed of. Like they are wearing their anime geekdom. Loud they are proud. buying their anime at the Target. <laughs> um, so I am happy for them. They do not have to go through the struggles we did. They could just watch it on Hulu or the YouTube. Um, so you know it's a new world for these kids. Yeah. The love for Attack on Titan, and of course, this year had the big sort of finale that crashed uh, that crashed Country Roll server, I believe. <laughs> um, I and sort of like similar in ways to Spider Man, I appreciated all the references for the young and the olds, like me, uh, because it was sort of a cross between current references, at millennial and Gen X things. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it was just so there was so much going on that I appreciated. Yeah. Ninja Turtles spans all generations. <laughs> it's for everybody. From Gen X to now. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a boomer, forget it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you might like it. I don't know. Well, there's Splinter. I guess. Master Splinter is for the boomers. <laughs> all right. One last time around. Uh, Jess, what is our? What is your last best pop of 2023? All right. So a lot of different things could have taken the space, right? I was thinking like Barbie. I loved it. Not a perfect movie, but I think the hardest I have laughed in the theater Definitely this year and in a very long time. Um, you know, really love Greta Gerwig. I'm a Gerwig head mm-hmm. um, and really enjoyed it. But I think my heart, I got to go down to my roots. And I'm going to say Joyride, written and directed by Adele Lim and then also co-written by Cherry Chiva and Teresa Shao. 
um, starring Ashley Park, Sherry Kawa, Stephanie <clears throat> Shu, and Sabrina Wu, with a bunch of fun cameos by a bunch of people, um, you know, familiar faces. It's just a fun comedy, which we don't get. It's very specific to um, a certain experience, which I just happen to relate to. Uh, it's sex positive. And again, I'm so happy we're at this place now where like we can get so specific that we can like shit on different Asians in one movie as it pertains to other Asian communities. That's really that's really the future we fought for. Um, you know, some just really great sequences. I love a road movie. It's extremely rewatchable. And again, it's it's some of these jokes. I, I don't know if it makes sense to people outside <laughs> the community, but like, you know, that makes it feel like it's for us. And again, shouts out to Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who did produce this um, with their on their uh, with their production company to bring this to us. So. I had a great time and I watched, I was lucky enough to watch this at the opening night of the um, cam fest in San Francisco. And there's just no better, no better audience, right? A bunch of Asian American, mostly Asian American folks um, who have been kind of waiting for this moment of just like, you know, we've, we've gotten through the trauma stories. We've gotten through the historical epics with white leads, um, you know, we've gotten through the dozens of iterations or attempts at Crazy Rich Asians Part 2. And now we get kind of an original, funny, oddly specific story by a team of Asian American women. So yeah. Joyride is my number three. Who knew that the guys behind Superbad would be such <laughs> allies to our community? Such homies, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're doing great, I think. And I think it's good on them for seeing just where, like, fun stories exist and their slate just seems to exist to bring joy like to tell fun you know you know interesting stories but also like in a way that just brings joy instead of you know mining you know mining the trauma mine <laughs> there is some trauma in this but i think you know ashley park does a really amazing job of grounding it mm -hmm. um you know sabrina Wu is was relatively unknown it's fun to see stephanie shu Use her Oscar abilities mm -hmm. to do things like shove cocaine up her ass. Yeah. Um, and I just just had a really good time. Yeah. Uh, all of them wrecked some people um, when they were having that Hot one. dudes. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. <laughs> you can't deny Wrecking him. their shit <laughs> up. Just fucking shit up. Um, always fun to see Ronnie Chang kind of play like aggro business bro. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I really enjoyed this film too. Uh, I do remember that the the trauma part of the film was probably the weakest. Like, I kind of wish they kind of focused on the fun. I mean, we didn't really need the Asian American trauma, especially the adoptee trauma, especially with. Mm. Um, I don't know if um any of the the writers or people behind it were no. I adopted. We I think we asked, and they're like, we talked to our friends. So I was like, huh. Eh. The funny moments, the highs are highs, definitely, in this film. I think that does kind of cancel out the the lows. Although, um, speaking to some of my adoptive friends, they, they did not really enjoy that third act of this film. Yeah, I didn't love that. But, you know, overall, there were just too many good things I think I enjoyed about it. I don't have that trauma. I had a good time. <laughs> yeah, I didn't love the last. Yeah. They could have done without it. It would have been fine. All right. Um, Han, what's your last best pop of 2023? 
right. So this one is actually probably one of my favorite TV shows this uh, this year, um, hands down. And it is a reality TV show. I've already talked about this before. Um, but if, you know, the contrast to Physical 100 is basically a show called The Devil's Plan. So instead of physiques and muscles and agility, you are testing your mental capacity, uh, strategy, um, facility, all of this other stuff, um, ability to lie. And um, these people are pretty damn smart. So basically, they get, what, like 12 people in a house. They are all of some sort of smart, um, either tested very well, doctors, um, professional go player, all these people who, you know, some of them, like, there's an actress in there. I don't know who she is. But, uh, <laughs> but, and of course, the funniest thing is then they have to put in one idol. So there's one, <laughs> one, one um, K-pop guy and he's definitely, he goes on there. Everyone's, you know, introducing themselves and they're like, yeah, I, you know, passed whatever this university course or I have an IQ of this. I'm a professional Go player. You know, I'm a scientist, astronomer. And he's like, I don't know why I'm on this show. I'm not that smart. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. And also when you see him play the game, like the next episode, you're just like, oh my God, dude. Um, but he's very enjoyable. It actually more made me a bit more interested in his group. Although that group has like way too many people. So I was just like, forget it. Um, what I enjoyed about this is, um, I've mentioned before the one of the first games they do is a version of Mafia, so there's just like way too many um, rules, and you're just like, I'm confused. But then you get a hold of it and you watch them do the gameplay, and that's fascinating because you're also trying to figure out who is who and what role they are and who just got killed and how. Um, so it's there's a lot of convoluted stuff there. Half of the games are collaborative games where you try to get more money in the pot by working together. But half of them are competitive games where you're going against each other. Um, so that's an interesting dynamic to play. There's also um, a few twists in there. There is a bonus sort of puzzle that only a few other people in the house realized. And so they start solving it without letting other people know. It, it It is so well thought out because I really wonder if they didn't notice if anyone would have. But there were enough people who were looking at it. Um, I will also say that the gameplay and the twists work pretty damn well through near the end, um, through to the end also. Because you know how we were just like, oh, Physical 100, that ending, bleh. Um, this does not have that problem. Uh, it ends up being like pretty tense um, through to the end. The winner is probably the person you wanted to win in the uh, final two. Um, and no one, you could, I don't think you can say anyone near the end didn't deserve to be there. Uh, they also had some really interesting personalities. So yeah, 100% entertaining front to back. Uh, everyone else I know who has watched this also have been raving about it. So this is the one show I've been trying to get other people to watch. Um, even my brothers who they're like, ah, sometime. And I'm like, they're not going to watch it. Um, but yeah, uh, highly, highly, highly recommend. Oh, okay. I'm going to start that tonight. Yes. You do have to watch, <laughs> read subtitles though. That's the only thing. So you have to. That's okay. Yeah. But it's worth it, I think. 
Yeah, I've been looking for a new, um, in addition to watching Top Chef Season 6, um, <laughs> might want to watch something new. So yeah, definitely. I, it's been on my list since you mentioned it. I know what's popping, I think, a few months ago. Um, but I'm glad to hear that it ends strong. Because that's yeah. always like the, the worry about these shows, right? It's just like yeah, when, you, when, when the finale is just anticlimactic. Yeah, you just have to get past the first maybe episode or two because there is that learning curve. But then also you get to know everyone and that's when it's still it starts getting like really good. So yeah, it's only, I believe 12 episodes. Um, so it's very doable. Um, yeah, try it out. It's not top chef, but <laughs> it does have, it does get you into the competition. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that was mine. How about, well, speaking of what about your yeah. other top pop? No surprise here, but I think the, I think this is some, this is a piece of pop culture that all three of us look forward to every year. Mm-hmm. And we already talked about it earlier, but my, my last best pop of 2023 was Top Chef World All-Stars. And mm. especially because like sometimes we get a Top Chef season that's kind of just mediocre. It's still mm-hmm. good, but just like we don't feel anything. Um, mm-hmm. This was, by all accounts, a pretty strong season. Um, not, and that's, Thanks to it being a an all star season, meaning that everyone in the show was either the winner or runner up of the respective seasons, and on top of that, all the chefs came from like the international spinoffs of Top Chef. I mean, it was still pretty America centric. Like I think half the contestants were from America, the American show, um, but it was really cool to see like Top Chefs from all different countries like come and. One of the things that I really love about, especially modern Top Chef, in comparison to watching season six um, this week, is mm-hmm. that you no longer have chefs that when they come on, automatically they're like, oh, this guy's not long for the show. Right? <laughs> everyone has a chance to win because everyone is like a chef at the top of their game. And mm-hmm. it's much like watching professional sports where like obviously there's good teams and bad teams. But in general, if you're a professional athlete, you are operating at like a high level. Right. And I really do love what that added to this show. In addition to the um, the international lens and the fact that they set it in England and was not afraid to kind of call out the colonial histories of that country was also really like I think that was definitely like a Padma Lakshmi influence on yeah. that season. Yeah. And it's her, it was her farewell season. I know. Uh, makes it much more poignant. I will say there were some challenges where I was like, I understand, you know, you want to be set in place and location and mm-hmm. honor that. But like <laughs> when you're like star ingredients, like cheese or a bland apple, you're like, oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> so hopefully the next season somewhere a little, a little more fun. It means Wisconsin. So. Well, the one after that. <laughs> Although, <laughs> well, I am or the curious. next like world, the next you know, world. Top Chef. Yeah, because I think I think it's totally valid to do like you know if we're gonna do Top Chef America, Top Chef, you know, Wisconsin or some of these like lesser known, um, you know, food regions. I think there's like I feel like the producers have done some smart things, and we've seen some like really interesting things. Like you know, we had that like indigenous food challenge in Oregon. That's all very fun. But, um, you know, if you're going to do world and then you're going to and you're going to like, you know, set it in time and place, like maybe something more interesting than an apple. <laughs> I mean, if you were the producer of Top Chef, where would you set your international all star season? I would do it into a Thunderdome where they first have to kill each other to <laughs> get the ingredients. I'm just going to go full Hunger Games. God, this, went, this went down a real dark path. Uh <laughs> 
I would say it's the I, end I was of twenty twenty three, Marvin. No uh, holds barred. I would just say I was, many Asian places. Just I'd have to pick. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would personally have preferred to be set in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like the obvious places would be like Japan, France, or Spain, right? Culinary mm-hmm. European, but they already did Europe, so I feel like they should go yeah. to another continent at least mm-hmm. i think it's just you know it's production like what is who is set up what areas are set up to host or to mm-hmm. to support a production right like yeah I, that's why i feel like even as much as i would like let's say a thailand i think japan or south korea would make the most sense because they have all those resources and entertainment sort of things set up um yeah, yeah. But, I mean, look, any Asian place I would be happy with, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because, as we know, Top Chef is a Go Asian staple. And we did have our Go Asian repeat with Buddha winning once again. Um, that man just insane. had a baby I saw on Instagram. Congratulations, yeah. Buddha. Oh, congrats. Muzzle. Yes. yes, he had a baby <laughs> along with his, now his dog has a friend. Um <laughs> That was his baby first. One way to put a child, the birth of a child. <laughs> Has a younger sibling. <laughs> a furless sibling. <laughs> um, but yeah. 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 Oh, what a year. I totally forgot that for some reason. Um, I think we we were blessed with a really good year of Top Chef. I'm really excited about next year because it's Kristen Kish's first season. Um, hopefully, hopefully we'll have a they haven't announced the chefs yet, so like we don't know if like how Ooh. what our Go Asian odds are this time, but I do feel like because we're back in a, an America-centric season mm-hmm. that, like, they can't revert, right? There's no way they'll revert now that Padma's gone. No, and it's, I mean, and I know, first of all, it's just great to have Christian Kish do, um, be the host to replace. But, yeah, I I feel like they have to consistently stay up there and not. I don't think necessarily we'll get, like, as many as we did for Houston, which was, like, what, five, five, six? Like, yeah. there was a lot. But I think three would be respectful. Yeah, no, Top Chef still has the, like, really amazing track record, even after 20 seasons, where, like, being on this show elevates your career, like, as a chef. Mm-hmm. So their recruitment and their pool is just going to be good as long as that is true, because there is a benefit for all these, like, Top Chefs to, like, leave the position, take time off. Yeah. You know, like, leave their fucking families. <laughs> Again, like, this is a show where people, like, leave their partners who are like pregnant and they're and, like, like potentially wh- miss the birth of their children because they know in the long run it's gonna like set their families up like that's pretty amazing <laughs> yeah as well as like a lot of these chefs are leaving their lives literally, literally their life's work to be on this show sometimes right like a lot of them chef owners a lot of them own their own places like it's it's a show where I feel like as it's gone on and it's like again not n- never as more evident as looking back at season six the show has become more and more about the skill and the the showcase of skill and letting the drama come from that as as opposed to check out these crazy personalities and this guy talking like the most misogynist shit <laughs> to mm-hmm. the camera. Oh yeah, they mm-hmm. they used to do that mm-hmm. um, and it was terrible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is now it's competence porn, right? Yeah. It's competence porn now, which is it's just, you know, I think as type A bitches, we like to watch that. Yeah, so um, Top Chef remains and will probably remain until until they jump the shark, however that is. Um, my my top pop of 2023. Um, pour one out for uh, 
Craft LA. Um, Hana, I don't know if you saw this, but it closed down. <gasps> oh my god, we were just there. <laughs> uh, no, I missed that for some some reason. Tom Colicchio pulling out of LA. Yeah, can't compete with all these other great restaurants. But also, he's he's had his good run. Like, <laughs> I I've been there several times, and so uh, I've only yeah. been there for like press events. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's mainly been press events. <laughs> so. yep. Yeah, and maybe 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 Kraft didn't survive the strike. <laughs> Not the COVID, but like the strike of the you know the writers and actors mm, strike. Yeah, where will CAA hold its FYC events now? Mm. Because it's like in the middle of like, you know, like all Century the... Century City, yeah. It's yeah. right next to Fox yeah. and everything. Yeah. Tom Colicchio still remains my favorite blue-eyed reality TV cooking host. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Over the baking man. That's yeah. fair. Yes. <laughs> I think I would agree there. All right. Well, with that, that'll do it for Good Pop for 2023. Um, thanks for sticking with us. And let us know what your best pop of 2023 is. Um you can shout it out to us on Twitter if, if you're still there. Um, speaking of that, just Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, your pop culture thoughts, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at just you tweets. And I'm also hasn't shut down yet. <laughs> I'm still there. So I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, threads, all those places at Anonymous. You can find me on Twitter at, at Instagram at Marvin. Yeah. Um, Good Pop is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, definitely, definitely check out our fellow Asian American podcast um, by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And that's a year. Uh, Jess Han, thanks for sticking with me once again this year. Our, our, our little COVID project lives on. Yeah. Longest commitment I've ever made in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. And and it predates my marriage. Yeah. So, you know, if we continue, it will continue to be the longest commitment I've made in my life. Yeah. Well, that I makes me feel it. good. It's always fun chatting with you guys about the good and not so good pop that we watch. Um, and looking forward to continuing doing that uh, in the years to come. Um, with that, happy holidays. Um, happy New Year. Um, we'll be... There's some plans to do something with the feed um, going forward. So we won't leave you with nothing for the rest of the year. But uh, for Good Pop Proper, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to us, uh, especially um, our two. I know at least two people that listen to us um, that told me. So um, appreciate all the support. And yeah, I guess well, we'll see you all next year. Bye, everybody. Bye. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. And we're getting tired of proving-